So and welcome to another episode of the Rebel City Podcast. It's been fucking ages, it feels. Uh, we've been working through a bit of a backlog, so we've not been recording as much, but I think was it been maybe two weeks or so? I was definitely, maybe more. Maybe, maybe a wee bit more, but maybe anyway, more. I... Definitely getting a wee bit of withdrawal. Aye. Glad to be back. It's, we need to stop, like... And it, we need to stop putting four or five in the back burner because then it just, it's the temptation. So you need to stop agreeing uh, to five people at a time. It's, a, <laughs> it's the temptation, uh, like, oh, I could just take like two weeks off the podcast because yeah. then that's what we've done. But uh, I needed it, I'll be honest. I think that's the first real break we've had since we started, really, isn't it? Right. Absolutely. This week's guest is Dana Renton. Say your name right, didn't I? Yeah, you said it right. Absolutely. Um, so you are... Affit podcast of recently photographer, artist, but yeah, creative type. Yes. A bit like ourselves. A lot of hats. A lot of hats. <laughs> yeah, you, do you remember Mighty Bush? No, I've no, not, I've not seen it. Do you ever watch Mighty Bush? Johnny yeah. Two Hats? Johnny yeah. Two Hats. We'll leave that because you're not going to get that reference. And I'm cultured swine. You should watch the, Might, the Mighty Bush on Netflix. It's fucking hilarious. But it's a bit dated now. Mm. 2000s, early 2000s haircuts. Hmm. Had a few of their bad boys myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you want to just tell people? I've like, had the same haircut since I was five. <laughs> <laughs> Timeless, <laughs> a classic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> short back and sides since five year old. <laughs> Tattoo, don't you? Just uh, short yeah, back and sides. Sure. Short back and sides for life, you. Go into the, go into the <laughs> barbers. Well, what do you want? Just show them your tattoos. Short back and sides. So, do you want to just tell people just who you are? Like, and we'll just get into the conversation. So, as pronounced correctly, for a change, uh, I'm Dara Renton, um, and I am predominantly a photographer, but I own two fashion magazines, so I do kind of, like, I publish a lot of other photographers and stuff like that, um, and I've done that for a few years now. Um, And when I'm not doing photography, I'm doing styling, Um, so fashion styling, just dressing models or whoever wants me to dress them. Um... And as you know, I am the co-host of the AFIT podcast yeah. for addiction recovery. Um, spoke to both of you before, yeah. which is good. So I think that's more or less the main things I do. A nice, headlines. A, a nice wee summary, everything that I... Executive uh, summary. Yeah. So, well, I mean, you're a, a, a fellow sufferer, I think. It's mm-hmm. fair to say, since you run a, a recovery podcast, um What's well, been your own sort of experiences with addiction? Because I don't think, listening to the podcast, I've listened to every episode, bar the, the most latest one, mm-hmm. and I don't think I've actually heard you or Megara's story. It's almost like you, you give your platform to other people, which is fantastic, but mm-hmm. I'd be quite keen to hear, I mean, I've heard like wee glimpses of stuff because you do the intro, which is hilarious yeah. about like <laughs> whatever situations <laughs> that you end up in. <laughs> I've forgotten most of my intros, and I think that's half the reason I don't like to play them back because uh, I remember things I've done. It's, it's like I can say that at the time, and then things change. But um, yeah, I haven't shared a lot about about myself, like in a kind of you know biographical sense. Like mm. I, I think it's all masqueraded with humour. Yeah. You know, I, like if I don't fucking laugh, I'll cry. <laughs> um, so. Went through life, like, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this today, like, I was one of those kids that was, like, an obsessive studier, like, an addict from fucking day one, just yeah. for the first few years of it, I was studying. Um, so I started my degree at university when I was 16, um, and I moved to London, and because I was 16 and you're supposed to be, like, 18 mm, on yeah. the course, I, everybody else could go out and I couldn't, 
Um, okay. But I didn't want to say anything because then they'd know. You're like a child it. genius or something like. <laughs> or is it sixteen? I mean, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Many leather bound books. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't. Well, I don't like to call myself that, but I worked really hard mm-hmm. to okay. know what right, I needed okay. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, don't know why the fuck they took me, so I can't really take credit for it. Like, if I knew that it was because I was super duper smart, then I'd be like, yeah, I'm mm. fucking... I quite like that, that I say, and I've said this to my, my girlfriend a few times, and she politely disagrees because she's a ballet dancer and suppose it's like a very skilled... Okay. And it takes a lot of dedication to learn that, but yeah. I, I say oh, the, the difference between somebody that is considered super intelligent, whether that be in dance, music, emotional, whatever it is, it's just somebody that, that does more work than the person next to them. I don't really subscribe to people being born, like, mm. particularly yes. talented, and, mm. and like, air quotes, I don't believe in talent, because mm-hmm. there's a whole 10,000 hours, but, so I quite like that you've said that, that you just worked really fucking hard, because people might actually think, well, you're downplaying my own personal talent, but mm. I would rather that I was a fucking hard worker mm. than somebody that was just, oh, I was just really smart, didn't do anything, didn't yeah. it? but just was really good at everything. I would rather I was a person that's like, he worked for that fucking shit, do you know what I mean? So I quite like the I detail. totally agree, because I think the exact same thing. Like I used to think on my good days that I was talented, but now a few years on, I look back at the things that I thought visually yeah. were acceptable, and I was like, oh God, like it's not talent. I have its taste, I suppose, and that changes, Mm -hmm. but everything that I know, that's all fucking being antisocial and just keeping my head down, like, and I I think that with the talent thing, I think that that's just a fucking lie that's been told to us all, so that we feel like we're, you know, supposed to give that talent for free, because we didn't work for it, so why should we profit from it? Anyway, a whole other fucking rant, like, (laughs) (laughs) I can't. You're, you're in London. What were you studying? So I studied. Um, I I did a bachelor's in fashion design and marketing. I did okay. want to be a forensic pathologist from the age of like five. I was okay. like dead things. I like those. And then when I was sixteen, I discovered Alexander McQueen, and I was like, "Holy shit! People can actually do creative things." You know, because yeah. it's and from school they're like, "Oh, you can't do that. There's no work yeah. in it." Mm-hmm. So how, how dare you want to be a musician? How I dare know. you want to be an artist? Like, no, no, no. <laughs> No, no. Most Absolutely not. Around for career councils bottomed in the country. So, yeah. no, no, but what, what do you really want to do? Like, I really <laughs> want to do this. Like, yeah, and I, it's funny because even when they were like, you can't, you know, be creative. Like mm. they said it before I did. Like I never pretended I was going to be creative when I was older. Yeah. But they were like, there's no jobs in forensic pathology. Have you considered being a waitress? And I'm like, I don't mind being a waitress, but it's not really what I want to do. No. So, um, yeah, I fucked off to London when I was 16. Uh, no, I just turned 17 actually and so I got into that kind of, I'd already sort of started drinking at about the age of 12. Yeah. Um, I was given my, given my first drink. I don't talk about the first drink but um, I didn't get that kind of immediate like, oh, this is life for mm-hmm. me now that, that people talk about. I just kind of experienced it and was like very apprehensive because I didn't like the idea of not being in control of what was happening. Yep. Um, so when I moved down to London, um, the pressure was like on. There was, I think, 400 applicants or something like that, but only like 38 people got on the course. Okay. Me being one of them. And I think in the end, there was only a few of us left, like 20 by the end of it, because people just kept dropping out. Yeah, like, it's hard. It's yeah, a common one. Like, yeah. So I was living in London, and um, so I, I'm on the spectrum, and 
uh, like everything's allowed. And I came from the middle of fucking nowhere. So mm-hmm. being in London, I was like, wow, this is super stressful. And I couldn't back then understand why. Yeah. So with, um, you know, studying a lot, how loud it was, which seems like a small thing, but it, like when everything's so loud all the time, like that how can you think? Uh-huh. Yeah, so that was constantly like that. So I started drinking a bit more to kind of um, deal with that. And the financial pressures of living in London, you know, I get to like 17 and I'm working three jobs like on the side. Yeah, I tried yeah. being a waitress, but I got fired after like a month okay. because uh, I didn't seem like I wanted to be there. I think his words were. Yeah. And I didn't. Right, so it, it wasn't true. a lie. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh-huh. Um, so, I think the weirdest um, criticisms of work I've ever had in my life is like, you don't want to be here. Of course I don't want to be here. It's work. I know. You know what like I mean? when you're standing and being like, here. Just tell me what you want to do. I'll go there. You know what I mean? Like, like, this is a contractual obligation where yes. I put up with you and you give me money. Absolutely. So um, You need to act like you want to be here. Like, <laughs> fuck off. You need to off. pretend right. to be happy. Put that in my contract and I'll do it. Mm. I know, exactly. So I was uh, working in marketing um, on the side uh, when I was at uni and a whole bunch of unfortunate events happened when I was in London. Like I was mugged um, by a breastfeeding woman. Like she squirted her boob at me, then stole my purse and like, oh, there wasn't even, I'd already lost my phone and everything on a night out drinking at this point. Like, so it was just like the final fucking straw and I was like, Nobody's going to believe me <laughs> if I tell them. I barely believe you now. Like, you know? Breastfeeding women squatted breast milk at you and stole your purse. Yes. And that was, that was like, one of the good things in the end <laughs> compared to other things I'd been through in London. Fuck um, me. So I, every time something shit would happen, my drinking got, like, it just got worse. Mm, of course. Um, so it's been, like, a gradual increase. Yeah. Like, like a coping mechanism rather than it being somebody that tastes alcohol... And there's like, wow, like, I really, like, I, yes. my first experience mm. with, like, alcohol, small, silly, beer it, hug me, first time I get pissed drunk, I woke up the next day and instantly wanted to get pissed drunk again. I was like, mm. wow, like, I felt amazing mm. last night, I was so confident, it was like the person that I want to be almost, so yeah. I recognise that sort of story, I've never had a problem. My really drinking was later life, I was more along the lines with, with yourself, like where gradual, I, I gradually slid towards the abyss, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it was not like, there were times um, when I was younger, before I left for London, that like my mum was away um, sort of looking after um, my grandfather, so I had an empty a lot. My mom, like, I was a responsible person. Yeah. Like, I studied and all that, but I also got fucking shit faced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, balanced. Yeah. Um, but I was never, I was never an idiot about it. So I used to have parties all the time, and I was always getting my fucking tits out. Like I was a, I was a confident person, but you put alcohol into a confident person, and they're just fuck it. I must have been unbearable. You know, like it <laughs> yeah. was, it was when I properly started drinking. I think the first time I properly drank with people, because I was like a solitary practitioner from day one, like always drinking alone. When I did eventually drink with people, I think I just spent it like greeting in the barn. <laughs> like my boyfriend cheated on me. <laughs> like right. what? So that was that was to set it up like confident and doing my thing and very driven. But then anything dark that I was not dealing with was brought to the surface by booze. But mm. because it was sort of laced with tits and fun on a good day. No, I don't think anybody really wanted to mm. say anything because no. you know when you're young you get. It's like, oh, you know, you're just a teenager, you're this, you're that. And mm-hmm. Everybody goes through it. It's a phase. Yeah, my It'll phase lasted 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, and it just got progressively worse. So, yeah, you know, 
Um, if I was to talk about the 12 steps that we go through, like I was kicked down each of those steps before I got here to go back up them all again. Mm-hmm. Like it just got worse and worse. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we're post breastfeeding. We're post mugging and I'm like, fuck this shit. Like I'm already drinking every day at this point. Okay. Uh, so that day, like she stole all my money, but I still found money to have like two bottles of wine because I was having two bottles of wine because you find it. Um, and I was like, fuck this shit, man, I'm leaving. And so I went back to Scotland um, and I stayed at home in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing to do there, so you drink. And sort of the longer I had to come to terms with London, like when you're there, time moves so quickly and you don't have time to really get over anything. Mm-hmm. I realise that now. So when I moved back here, having never experienced the nightlife or anything like that here, like I just fucked off. I had no idea about anything. Yeah. I didn't have any, f- not friends left, like Aye. I didn't have anybody. So I started drinking sort of even more, but I was very secretive about it. And at this point, I don't realise I have a problem problem. Like, I know yeah. I drink every day, but in London, they're like, oh, you're Scottish. Like, so it was already acceptable, yeah. my behaviour. Mm-hmm. It was expected yeah. of me. And, when, you know, I worked in a pub when I was 17, um, when I lived in Croydon. And they were always trying to buy me drinks and yeah. stuff like that. And, I, you know, there was times I just didn't even think about booze. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I was like that. Um, I think that that's that something that happens with people that work in pubs that it becomes acceptable to drink every day. Yeah. I've known people that work... I mean, one of the guys that I used to work with years ago was a manager in Wotherspoons, and he used to say to me that every single one of them is an alcoholic and a coke kid. Mm. I was like, right, okay. And he was like, not every single one of them is an alcoholic and a coke kid. And I was like, fuck, man. He's like, the, the no. pub game is so bad for, like, addicts. And you think now as, like, an adult... At the time, I was a bit, like, can it be true? But then... You, of course that is. It's like... Yeah. Yeah, like, of course... They, they, if you're suffering that man, you want to go where it's the easiest accept, exactly. you know, easiest access possible and it's bars and clubs and stuff. But I think that when, you, when you're living in that and you're in that bubble, everybody's... Well, a lot of people are drinking every day. Mm-hmm. You, you're never going to figure out that you've got a problem. It's just no, it's like... 17 years that's old. life. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? That you're just like coping and that's what everybody else is doing around about you and... I recognise that thing about what you're talking about with London where it's just so fast-paced that uh-huh. nothing, no dust settles, ever. You're literally like going 100 miles an hour. It's like sleep up, right, let's go, let's go, let's go. Aye. So yeah. it mm-hmm, can be like very difficult. But when you come back to somewhere, you come back home to Scotland and you've got a lot of time, you can imagine that everything then starts to settle down Yeah. and it's, becomes like... It's the silence, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that silence that I wanted so much. Like... Before I moved back, um, I sort of had this probably, I wouldn't call it a phase, like, because given the opportunity, I, if I wasn't sober now, I would start doing it again. But I was doing, like, a fuck ton of drugs as well yeah. mm-hmm. at one point. You know, when I was younger, I used to be terrified of the very idea of them. I think I was maybe 18 or 19 when I first took MCAT. Um, and it helped me talk. And I was, like, this fucking close to killing myself because I was, like, oh, there's so much going on and I can't talk. But because it helped me talk, I was like, well, it can only be a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I was, I never drank when I took drugs. And it's like, I kind of knew, I was like, I'll just take drugs instead. But I was mostly staying up to study more. So it's like, it was just, if it wasn't fucking drinking, it was drugs. But the drugs were justified by my grades. Like, mm-hmm. my grades were really good because I was, you know. So the drugs kind of ebbed out and then the drinks started to come back in. But like, once I realised that I couldn't use alcohol for anything positive yeah you know that's when i was like starting to get a bit secretive with it so yeah i'd got i'd got back um to scotland and everything sort of started getting to me and i was still working the marketing jobs except since i wasn't at uni i thought i've got more time 
um, or I can sleep less. And I've started working, like adding on another three clients. So I think about seven sort of projects slash clients I had on the go at the same time. Mm-hmm. I had like a catastrophic breakdown. Like they were putting me on meds that were like known to be fatal in conjunction with each other. And yeah. there were certain meds I took where I was trying to pull my own teeth out. Uh, like the there's like pictures on Instagram. So yeah, I was trying to pull my own teeth out and then I drank two bottles of wine one night and I think the last thing I remember thinking was like I was looking at my legs. I've like I've never been into self harm or anything, mm. that's just not my style. I think drinking was my self harm, that was enough. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, I should cut a circle around my ankle for sure. Like just yeah. Like, I, don't, I can't even tell you what I meant, like, mm-hmm. right now. So, anyway, I wake up in the hospital getting stitches, and I've got, like, hundreds of fucking cuts all over my legs. And yeah. it's, like, the only part of myself that I quite liked. And, and I've like, just hacked it into bits. And, yeah, so I'm getting stitches, and then I'm like, oh, this is the problem. Um, but the drinking still wasn't an issue. I was like, oh, that was weird. wonder why I did that. Like, to this day, I still don't know why I hacked myself up with a scalpel yeah. like why did I have a scalpel like there was so many questions but I'm like I'm gonna have to live with it mm-hmm. um so that you know that was I don't even know if that's a rock bottom because I've got so many yeah at this point um but yeah that kind of set the tone for the year of like just trying to harm myself but then I think as I got angrier like you know I guess with grief, there's the stages. Yeah. I think that in the psychological sense, you have to mourn your own childhood okay. in a way. Um, it's in this book that I read all the time. Mm-hmm. So you have to mourn your own fucking childhood. And I think one of those stages is anger. Like I was in denial mm-hmm. until I was 19 about stuff that had happened. And then I, eventually I got to anger. And with that anger, like I could no longer just direct it at myself. Like I was very angry at other people. Of course. So I was still drinking a fuck ton, but going out and you know if if a guy even looked at me the wrong way yeah I, like i think i was in edinburgh once and a guy said something in my ear and i don't know what exactly it was i think it was some kind of compliment mm-hmm. i don't know but next thing i know i'm like dragging him across the across the club like mm-hmm. and then i'd like sort of came to and i was like ah oh, i'm so sorry like because i would never hurt anybody of course but alcohol changes who you had this underlying Jekyll and Hyde shit yeah I totally get you I think having guested on like the the AFIT podcast with yourselves like that was one of the first places where I addressed like my sort of you know history and like so much of what you're saying like resonates with me the self-harm and Mm -hmm. obviously the behaviour the anger the frustration that boils over and like thankfully you know the only person I ever actively harmed was myself you know Mm -hmm. what I mean Um, at least physically you know what I mean but like I it's so it's it's weird for me because, like, we talk about guys' stuff an awful lot. And, like, for me, when I think about alcoholism, I think about the, you know, the, the, the image, the, the, you know, the dude for Mad Men with the scotch in his hand, mm-hmm. and, uh, Jack Donaghy's old, and, like, this normalisation of, like, daily, everyday drinking and stuff like that. Yeah. And it, and it feels like quite a, a masculine thing to me because that's my experience. It, but, like, I don't think we hear enough for women who have had issues mm-hmm. with alcohol. So, like... Actually, seeing so much of your story reflect so much of my own experience mm-hmm. shows that it's just exactly the same thing. But, like, I don't feel like we hear for like, women on it as much as we do or as much as we need to, to be honest with you. I think, um, like, with women, um, I can, well, I consider myself personally sort of in the middle. Like, I'm not, 
um, trans, but I'm not cis. Like, it's a weird kind of... Okay. I understand, like, how my own sort of mind works. Mm. And I've always kind of struggled to... Um, like, you know, the imagery that you're talking about with yeah. the men in the scotch and stuff. Like, mm. I was never really looking at um, women and their habits with alcohol. I was always looking to the men. Yeah. Because... Uh, it's not really in popular culture. I mean, I know the soaps are kind of doing stuff now, but mm-hmm. I'd never even seen a female alcoholic yeah. other than my, my own family, which uh. is mostly, you know, female. And that's only because it's like, well, they must be an alcoholic. Like, But there's no sort of, not representation, because you'd hope that it didn't need represented in the first place, but it's, it's very um, male-dominated in culture, so you kind of can't, um, you couldn't stumble upon it by accident. Yeah, and be like... Oh, well done. Yeah, That's like I, c- I could see what? like models taking coke in a in a TV show yeah. or whatever, and yeah. I'd be like, oh, coke to get skinny, right? Yeah, I can really. But I never saw it with alcohol, mm-hmm. and I think with women, um, sometimes there's the kind of bonding aspect over it, mm. uh, and I don't know if guys have that kind of thing as well. I know there's that classic go to the pub, have a pint. But it's always with the narrative of avoiding the wife. Yeah. From what I've seen, I could just be ignorant. But yeah, no, it's not a stereotype, definitely. Pop culture is doing nothing, nothing for us. But yeah, with, and with women as well, I think there'll be a lot of people in that sort of position where they're like, "Can women even be algies?" Like, because, and it, I think it on a, I don't know if on a biological level it could hit women harder as well because we can't take as much, but we'll fucking try and drink as much. Yeah. Like I learned that personally. I trying to match know. my male friends drinking yeah. and yeah. I'm like killing myself. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Just I, can't do no, it. No recognising that for every guy who goes in the pub to avoid these misses, we's mate is there's a wife at home who's drank like, a bottle and a half of white wine exactly. while he's out, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. What was coming up for me there when you were talking is I was trying to think there, when was the first time that I really if I th- try and think like the first real representation of females drinking. I was actually thinking to myself, how many female alcoholics <laughs> can I actually name in like T V or movies there uh, as well? But what? Do you know what I was thinking is strange is that Sex and the City, but then that was glorifying it because they weren't the alcoholics, they were uh, progressive women and like they were out there yeah. and they were matching the men. Do you know socialites. Like, yeah, socialites and that sort of culture ended up creeping in. And now you get this the whole sort of like midday glass of wine where your friends will split a bottle of wine. Yeah. And when you were saying, I don't really know if that exists for me, I don't think it does really exist for men anymore. I think the, the, thir- the Friday night, Saturday night, because the guys were in the shipyards and then they went to the pub straight for work and stuff. It, it did exist really, really prevalent in yeah, yeah. But I don't think it really is like that big a thing like amongst men in that sort of social aspect. And obviously we mm. still have people that... Um, maybe plenty of locals, mate. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they, they do well, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just thinking about people our age. Aye. More than... Um, because you get the sort of traditional old man's pub. But I think there's a lot of sort of binge drinkings been the bigger thing and it's like the Saturday night and then it's the coke into the Sundays like the big sort of guy lad thing like oh lads pints like let's go go clubbing it isn't really the day drinking that you see like yeah there's not a female equivalent well it's you know it made me think there about um I was thinking as you said actually when I see so since I got sober Mm -hmm. I I I take back everything I just said alcoholics are Female alcoholics are very fucking present in popular culture. Okay. I've just realised they are. They are just uh, funny mm. and sassy mm. and pretty, and you don't see them spewing their fucking guts up or punching <clears throat> their boyfriends. Like you don't see <laughs> any of that. Uh, so uh, they are there. And I was thinking about. I was watching um, 
Arrested Development recently. Yep. And there's the mum, and she's always Absolutely. got fucking booze. Yep. And that that was me she's on the like same a nice as well. She plays the mother in Does she? and she uh, the characters oh, always the wine. And I was also hinting there. Um, Dee Sunny in Philadelphia. She's a female oh, alcoholic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so yeah. Yeah. we're getting there. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just took me because when I obviously when I think of an alcoholic, a female one, I only really have myself to think of because yeah. it's all I've really got. It's like I can definitely vouch for this. I uh-huh. can't tell anybody else's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course. Um, and I've never seen a sh- like you know a shit show like me on television. So <laughs> yeah. So was the I mean first of all you're approaching the year, so congratulations. Did it pass? Uh, it'll be coming up in a few okay. days. So congratulations with that. Yep. Was there a massive wake up call that happened? Was there an event that you like that was it for me? Like it, it sparked the the recovery process. Um, there was two. There was the big catastrophic one, and then there was the sort of aftermath of it. Yeah. The catastrophic one. Um. Uh, so I was going through some shit, still drinking my fucking bottles of wine, like on the train in Glasgow. So I was going to a gig. I already drank a bottle of wine. I bought another bottle of wine when I got off the train, tanned that, went to a gig. Yeah. Um, I knew people there and they were like, oh, you're on the magazine, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, cool. And then uh, for some reason, I get up on the stage and I get my tits out. And okay. I'm 24. Mm. Like, I'm. this was not long ago. Okay. About, well, over a year ago now, but uh, yeah. Uh, so I did that and I didn't, I don't remember doing it. I don't know why I did it. But that was like in front of everybody that may have respected me. Um, the person whose gig was doesn't, doesn't speak to me anymore, and that's cool. Like because oops. of that, yeah, I, I know, I know. Okay. I've done so much worse in my life, you know. Okay. But like everybody's got different levels that they're going to tolerate, just, you know. Absolutely. So that's totally fine. I, I get it. Um, but after that, I was just like, oh shit, what have I done? And then you know that you one thing makes you think of death, and then that's all. That's all I used to fixate on when I got to that point in the night. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I tried to uh, jump into the canal, uh, but I just really hurt my back oh. instead, and oh. it was a real bummer. I didn't think I was going to be able to shoot again. Like, it was so bad. And then obviously my mum was fucking raging with me, and I'm like, oh, like, I can deal with anything, mm-hmm. but not my mum being angry at me. Okay. She's like, I can't believe you fucking done this. Um, but she got over it, and, you know, when she realised, she was like, right, okay, you're just, you know... You know, weren't being an idiot. I didn't want to go swimming. Like, yeah. I was like, I want to be in the water, as in I want to drown and die. So that happened. But again, nothing could scare me away from alcohol. Like hurting people, hurting myself. I just didn't. I actively said I would rather die than be sober. That is what I said to myself all the time. At that stage, your body needs it. Yeah, I, mean, I would have rather just died. Um, so I was like, oh, you know, I really can't be doing this anymore like that was a wake-up call in the sense that i'd publicly embarrassed myself mm-hmm. if, you know and that was never my style like i was you know i was clearly an alky but i was very professional like i'm stumbling about off my face yeah. but i'm still doing my job and that was but it had no longer it was just tasteless yeah mm-hmm. i was not being a classy bitch about it so it was no longer good enough to yeah me. i couldn't live this way um but Lo and behold, the last time I ever drank, I, st- I think I stood in that Scott Med for like half an hour just looking at these cans of dragon soup. And my justification was that I'd never tried dragon soup. So I bought like three cans of like a blue flavour. Yeah. Uh, and drank them on a park bench. And uh, 
I don't really remember anything else. Are after they strong? That. Is dragon soup strong? They're like, they're like K-Cider, so like 8%. Mm. Okay, so, so you're like just... Like 2 K-Cider would so get me off my face. Yeah, I was going to say, so you've just had like a litre and a half, basically, a like cider, yeah. which would down me, mm-hmm. absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like, a litre of cider would be enough to get me... I'd be, be fucked after half a litre. Ah, I don't anymore. drink, so... But yeah, yeah. so you've just drank a litre and a half of like cider and probably... And like chemical energy drink. Yeah, so, oh god, it tastes like I've had some rancid alcohol, but that was, you know, like I'm I've drank mouthwash. Kind of I am suspicious of anything that says that its flavour is a colour. Like, and that, yeah. there's a lot of that going about. Oh, it's, mm. it's yellow flavour, and you're like, no. Like, you Tell can't what even it actually is. name like, the food I, that it's based on. Yeah. Like, because yeah. it doesn't taste like <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't taste like <laughs> any conceivable food. <laughs> it's just the, what the chemicals made it look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I'd, yeah, I'd drank all of those and then I woke up in the morning and I'd have, I've obviously never felt worse because it was this blue shit um, and my partner was kind of like you know you drink so that you don't remember things about your life but you do realise that you do remember you just don't remember that you remember mm-hmm. so he was like you know and I, I hallucinate sober okay. I guess I'm fruity that way so when I drink, it's even worse, and I get auditory kind of hallucinations as well. So I hear things, mm-hmm. and you know, to imagine that like under the influence as well. Like I don't think alcohol made my psychosis any better. Like I've almost no. set my whole house on fire because of the stuff that yeah. I've seen and heard when I've been drinking. So to know it was finally knowing that, like, because I thought I was forgetting for a while, because just because I didn't remember that night, but then I imagine myself being so distressed. And I'm still remembering it at the time. It's like kind of meta. Like yeah, I was no longer an escape. I realised I couldn't escape my past anymore. So I just, I was like, okay. And then I just didn't drink for a few days. And um, I didn't consciously try and do it. Just like every thought was dominated by alcohol. Like I was raging with everybody. It's like it's everybody else's fucking fault yep. that I can't drink. Um, and then Megara messaged me uh, when I went to visit my mum a few days later. She was like, how's it not drinking going? Because obviously I'd sworn myself off when I jumped into the canal. Mm-hmm. And I was like, not great. <laughs> so she took me She took me to a group and I didn't think I was going to get sober. Like, I, I just wanted to try it out, I guess. Yeah. Like, I, I liked her, wanted to meet her. Uh, and then I just fucking never stopped going. So I didn't think I was going to get sober, ever. Mm-hmm. I didn't try. It almost try. seems like impossible, didn't it? Like, yeah. At, the, at that sort of point when you're at... I think that... Can you imagine somebody, life without it when you've been on it for that length of time? Exactly. Like it's, it's, Some, somebody asked me, um, when does something become a problem? And I've got a really sort of stupid definition of it, but when you first think, I don't want to do this anymore, and you can't, that's when the problems start. Now, the problem exists because I think you've alluded to it and absolutely, like, when we've been talking on your podcast, it's about things that have happened in the past. It's Mm. got nothing to do with that moment then and there. The damage has already been done and a lot that you said you need to grieve your childhood. Yeah. Um, I've done so much work on, like, the... the, uh, making the wee boy that I was feel all right about just being that wee boy Ah. and not being... Like visualizations and going yeah. back and being your own parent and I love all that sort of yeah. stuff. Like and reparenting yourself. Like I love all Absolutely. that shit. Like, um, but yeah, it they're just that 
when you start to think, when you have that first thought, maybe I shouldn't be drinking like this, or maybe I shouldn't be doing X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z, and then that other thought comes in, no, no, because, and then you start the excuses, that's when the problems start. That's ah, when yeah. you're actually an addict, because you're making excuses for something that you don't want to do. I, I really like your partner's up. point about, like, you just don't remember that you remember. Ah, yeah. Because yeah. all the shit that you do, and all that stuff is just sitting in your subconscious, just gnawing away at you, mm-hmm. and you need to process it, because you're, no pro- you're not allowing yourself to process it. It's scary. Put it the other fucking side of it, do you when know you what I mean? think about it, the stuff that bubbles under the surface, like, I'm not surprised that yeah. I was, you know, getting so close to, like, murder. <laughs> mm. Like, I'd really, if I knew somebody who had been through the things <clears> that I did, or had been through as a child, and then all the stuff that happened in London, like... I'd be like, oh, honey, oh, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it was also like, well, it's not fucking bothered me. Because, um, like, I got lyrics to the show must go on, tattooed on my ribs when I was going through a particularly bad time. Mm-hmm. And I just turned 18, I was like, that's how it's going to be. I'm just going to do everything anyway. And I did everything anyway. And it's, yeah. uh, I wish I'd just took a couple of months every time some shit happened to just get the fuck over it. Yeah. But it's not it's not that easy. And especially if you're a man as well, like I don't know, I, I know a lot of men who have been through similar things to me and it's even harder for them to come out with that and tell people and I you know, I think to myself, it's devastating. Like at least as a female I've got that kind of there's somebody I can tell, but sometimes when I think of a lot of men I know I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, it's hard. Yeah. A lot of yeah. people aren't ready to hear your past, no. which is um, isolating. And uh, yeah, I think I was like, well, I can't tell anybody that's worth telling. Like, I'm not going to get any justice from this. Mm-hmm. So I'd prefer to forget it. And I did a lot of stuff. Aye. But since I got sober, that all came back. Like, I mm-hmm. thought I remembered things and that was the problem. But I didn't remember as yeah. much as I thought You have revelations all. that you're just like... What? Yeah. Some stuff comes up to to lift. Absolutely. Some stuff comes up where you're like, I'm not even sure if that's true. Am I I, I imagining? Is that a dream that I had? And then you start to go, no, wait a minute. As you start to think about it, you're like, no, this this was a conversation I had with you as we were building up to me coming on your podcast. And that was like, because I've been quite fortunate with mine to have a a level of distance. I know Mm -hmm. I had a bit of trouble with alcohol in the last year. Um, But prior to that, like, my experience talking to yours was about stuff that it was like 10 years ago mm-hmm. and like stuff that I had found time to like get out and move beyond and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Well, as best I can anyway. And then I was going through the stories and I'm, I said to my sister, I'm like, I'm not even sure like that half of that is the way it even panned out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I had that pure fear and he was like, no, no, that's, uh, I remember this and I remember that and you know, don't worry about that. And like, going back so far into the distance to mm-hmm. it is like quite... Again, the fog is lifted, but again, time then skews it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had one of these the other week, right? Mm. Where we were, me and my girlfriend were watching something and they were talking about like psychosis. And I was like to myself, I used to hear voices in the dark when I was a wee boy. And then I was like, do you know what? And I was, and, and I actually went and confirmed this with my mum because I was like, did I go to the doctor for this? And she was like, yep. Yeah. And they put it down to my gran had died. What I used to be able to do was, I used to be able to give myself tunnel vision. Uh-huh. And I used to be able to make, so I'd sit right in front of the TV. It's mm-hmm. like a seat that I used to sit right in front of the TV. So the TV was about five feet away from me. And I used to be able to shrink it down to like that size and like my vision okay. and make everything really small, make my hands really big. And I used to be able to actively do this. And I was sitting, I was like, I don't know if I'm making this up. And I went and said to my mum and she was like, no, nah, you went to the doctor for all that. And they just said that you were grieving. 
and I was like, hmm, I wonder what the fuck that was. Like, started to like really think about it, like, and then started to have fucking dreams about these yeah. voices that I used to hear like, right. when I was a wee boy. And I'm like, fuck, I used to hear my grand's voice, and just when it was pitch black, I just hear whispers and voices in the dark, and it never really freaked me out. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really freak me out now, but just like super interested in like what the fuck that was and what the experiences were about. It's funny how trauma can manifest itself. Um, so for me, I had the the psychosis and um, the eating disorder and everything you can have for trauma I've had mm-hmm. it but the psychosis was so difficult like I never had the classic kind of you know go kill people like I never had anything like that mm-hmm. I always felt like I was in a room full of people that would not shut the fuck up right. it was like being in London except I was in my own fucking bedroom mm-hmm. um, so that was bad and I used to hallucinate spiders on everything it was always spiders I was never scared of spiders until I hallucinated spiders and it was just, it was, so it was very specific things. Mm-hmm. And I tried everything to kind of get over it, but all, you know, they didn't really give me any proper reason. Like, if I understand why something has happened, I can accept it and move on. Mm. I can understand where the fuck spiders came into it. Didn't know why I was always hearing multiple people instead of singular people. Like, mm-hmm. so I never got any closure on that. But sometimes there's no rhyme or reason for it. Yeah. But I used to, I don't know if it was a dream, but I used to see like this white hand coming up from the side of my bed when I was a child and every time I looked at the hand I wouldn't be able to speak and I used to have recurring nightmares that I was going to get kidnapped and raped and all that and it just manifested I suppose into reality and whenever anything traumatic has ever happened to me I've never been able to speak oh the Mm. worst yeah the absolute worst so it's yeah it's weird how yeah things happen and then it just kind of tumbles from there but uh-huh. psychosis is a complicated one because it's not as fun or quirky or anything like that as people make it mm-hmm, out to be no. like it's dark mm-hmm. fucking dark uh, and you have I've to be so no resilient it, other than what this this memory that i had this, this thing when i was a child and i was thinking that hearing voices in the dark is definitely like a, a symptom i was like mm, just wondered where it came from or, yeah. or where it went or where it even went to either it yeah. just kind of like faded away um and I, it was just when you were saying that I was like fuck man just I had a revelation about like my childhood when I was even just a couple of weeks ago and I try and do as much work into like yeah. remembering everything and try to sort of analyse what happened and mm-hmm. why why am I the person that I am and still I get these wee pockets of like fucking like woofed something yeah. happened and you don't remember and maybe I've tried to forget it maybe as you know what I mean getting getting taken to the doctor and getting told oh your granny's died you're just grieving mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with you just put up with it it'll go away and I've just washed it away and it's just went away your mind's miraculous like that like oh, I didn't think my mind had done anything like done a good job of forgetting it yeah considering but it turned out it really did it's incredible how you can <laughs> compartmentalise yeah. absolutely episodes in your life but yeah. I think that anybody that would I would talk to personally I'd say to them you need to deal with that shit because compartmentalising it is only just stuffing it down for a later date. I mean, yeah. absolutely, if you're going through a particularly tough time and you don't have the time to do it, you've got a huge work project, you've got... Mm. I understand, like, I, I do that. I, I can't worry about that. Let's just worry about that later. But ultimately, you need to come back to it. If you forget about it, it's just going to go down there and end up dictating the way that you act. And mm. you, you don't want your subconscious dictating. You want to be aware how you're acting so that you don't yeah. act out with the person that you want to be ultimately yeah and it's you know it's like if you hid food somewhere in your in your room 
like which I've done before. If you hid food somewhere in your room, sooner or later it's going to start to smell. Mm-hmm. And eventually when you find it, it's going to be rotten yeah. and it's going to be horrible. And you're always going to think, oh man, I do not want to hide food in my room again. No. Mm-hmm. Like that's how that's I rationalize it. That's a really good analogy. That's how I stop myself from uh-huh. still doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the... That's you have it. to clean it up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've tried to throw the whole thing out, right. but it didn't solve the problem. I ended up with nothing. This is been, this so. is the big message, actually. I think like this is the huge message to say yeah. to people is like if you want to be well, you need to clean your shop. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and that's everything. That's everything. Like yep. no matter what it might be, you need to deal with it if you've got something that's happened. But so Megara like took you to the the so that did that spur the recovery is this like so you went to the meeting was it an AA meeting or I don't think they're allowed to discuss that oh okay so we're not allowed to talk yeah, about like not. but you it, could ask it again if you wanted but like in a different way in a different way I know that's smart or do you not care about cutting out I don't really mind no no, 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 it's, no it's, it's, it's not, not like, like it's not like that it's just more like what the question is really was that the sort of spark for your recovery, your own personal recovery? Was the me- know what happens in the meetings? I'm no one to know yeah. the details yeah, of yeah. what's said in the meetings yeah. and stuff. But um, was it the meetings that was the spark? So Megara takes you to the meeting. Is that like the sort of catalyst for everything? That- yeah, I, I didn't have any expectations, and I think that was the best. That was the best thing for me. I'm glad I didn't look anything up. I'm glad I just sort of trusted her and yeah. did what I did because I met a whole bunch of other sober people that had been sober for years. And I can I could not imagine hanging out with people sober. Like it was a nightmare. You know, having having a mask like I shouldn't laugh, but I get where you're coming from. <laughs> people are a fucking nightmare, sorry. I don't want to hang out with anybody. Yeah. <laughs> um but then I saw all these sober people just having a good time and drinking tea and I'm like, this is some bullshit, but I could get on board. Like it was just it was not so much um seeing how they were better or just like oh, you know, they're sober, it was more that they're happy. And they seem comfortable with themselves. Yeah. That was attractive to me. Of course. I could not imagine life. And I'm like, oh, like, I know these things and I'm fairly smart, but I cannot picture a life without alcohol. Oh, so, you're content. Yeah. You're comfortable within yourself. Pure curiosity. I just went back again. <laughs> I, can't, I can't describe it. I don't know. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I knew that it had ruined ruined drinking mm-hmm. for me because yep. um, I knew I would always think of that day or that couple hours mm-hmm. and I'd think it's possible like if these if these people can Absolutely. do it you can fucking do it like, I think that must be, that yeah, must be fucking study it the same for so many people that went and you know as I say like maybe that first attendance that first person that reaches out to you that first whatever it is that starts you on the journey like it's just that wee sort of sliver of light that mm-hmm. you've that you've basically never had. You know what I mean? You're talking about being a teenage girl to being a, a woman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And being an alcoholic that entire time to have any sort of social interaction that did not like revolve around it must have been like groundbreaking. You know what I mean? Like, cause I know myself yeah. that you know seeing other people go like that he went dry at a time when I was like drowning in bourbon. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And like. The benefits that he was, even though he was oblivious to the fact that that's what I was doing, like, sitting listening to him talk, like, two weeks in, I feel the benefit of this, and then a month in, I feel the benefit of that, and my brain was just like, yeah, no interested, you know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, that 
conversation through that is essentially what led to me going right you know what actually i do know how to deal with this so that's that that first step or that first we just sliver of it is absolutely vital no matter what form it comes in I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. your ego's just protecting you it's just telling you that you, you can't no you can't can't be like that it, we are sort of perfect the way we, we are ah, you're no wrong don't, don't change like change is hard it's like something that i'm came like massively into is that Change is so fucking hard. Like mm-hmm. it causes so much, then that's what people sort of run away from. And the anxiety causes them to go back to just doing the same shit, earn there and there again. It's immensely your credit that you know, as well as the drinking issues. Like you're you weren't quite, you know, what I'd imagine is quite high pressure, high. You know, you're active, you're photography, you're dressing people. You're seems to me as though you're somebody who was naturally very very busy a lot of the time anyway. So you mm. know, I mean. How you've managed to handle a high pressure job with a drinking problem and mental health issues is like absolutely incredible. Like in terms of your recovery, like like and again coming up to the year, like when it comes and passes, like congratulations. You know what I mean, I think as we kind of like move on a wee bit towards the end of the year, I want to kind of like mix it up and just change the subject completely because um, in the last couple of weeks, I've, I've noticed that you were in America. You were uh, you were in um, what was the state? Of, I'm reluctant to say Salem because you were like Salem's not, you know what I mean? Like, but uh, Massachusetts or whatever. Massachusetts, yeah, yep, Salem. Um, and this kind of like coincided at a time when I seen a thing, and as we were talking off mic, you said that like in Scotland this was huge. But I, I, as well as seeing you on Facebook out in Salem doing your thing, I come across an article I think on the BBC about how like witches mm-hmm. were treated in Scotland at the time, and like it was a, it was a weird coincidence. So like. I mean, I don't even know where to start with this. Like, where, where did your, like, fascination with this type of thing come from? Is it, um, is it the first time you've been, like... No, so I've been a witch from day one. Okay. Except uh, when you're a child telling folk you're a witch, <laughs> they're like... Because, uh, you know, you think witches in popular culture and they fly and they do yeah. all that stuff. So, you, mm. you know, if somebody says that they, they're a witch, you, you think that they think they can fly and shit like that. So I'm not, so I'm not surprised people did that. So from day one, I was doing doing the thing, mm-hmm. practicing. Uh, and then I kind of obviously had it bullied out of me for a few years. Of course. And then I came back to it um, when I moved back to Scotland. Okay. Um, I didn't see myself going to Salem for it, yeah. you know. Uh, but... It looked extremely cool. I mean, what, what's involved? So that's what it says. Like, there's tarot. Uh, you were doing tarot readings mm-hmm. at one point, weren't you? Yeah. So I'm a sort of. So there's like a few labels. Um, you can be a part of a coven or you can't. Up to you. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Uh, I don't know many covens here personally. Okay. At least I know loads in Salem now. But I'm a solitary practitioner, so I just do it myself. Um, I'm an eclectic witch, so I don't do. Um, one single thing so some people might be a kitchen witch or a divination witch or you know people I get asked a lot are you a white witch or a black witch and I, it's a stupid question never ask anybody it because it's sort of like are you a good person or a bad person Okay. there's a sort of inherent belief that black magic is bad magic mm-hmm. because of uh, culture and the media um, so I'm a divination witch and I'm non-religious as well so you even get Christian witches Okay. It, like the religion is what it is, but the witchcraft is a practice. It's a way of life, mm-hmm. as opposed to a set, you know, bunch of beliefs. Yeah. So that's that's that. But so, what are the actual practices? So there's just so many. <laughs> which is, uh, yeah. Well, like if you if you want something, get it. Like do a spell for it. 
if okay. you're doing like divination for example so i do i do like the pendulum um tarot cards runes you can scry like right. so bullshit so mm-hmm. it's almost like manifestation absolutely so the secret right. witchcraft is basically the secret okay. killer <laughs> just a, a little bit more to it right, than, okay. so it's, it's basically the secret I believe fundamentally in the secret like you attract things like I credit me getting into uni from just believing I was going to get into uni like there's yeah. no other way that could happen for me aside from the years of studying but you know <laughs> well, that's, that, all that's, that. that's, that's where, in reality right? yeah. I often know the same thing that's right where I, I, I come to the sort of crossroads I think it's a, a bit of both like I believe that if you're proactive things, things will happen for you Mm-hmm. Um, but you need to put the work into it. Yeah. Just sitting and wishing something, it's not going to happen like that, but sitting sure. down and wishing it and going, making a plan on how to make sure that if it does happen, that you're in the best place to take advantage mm-hmm. of it. But also, like, I, I have been in situations where, even just in work, where you sit still and nothing, you need to make a change because things aren't going quite well, mm-hmm. and then you make a change, and it's no, it doesn't even really feel like the right change, but just the fact that you've made the change means that things start to incrementally yeah. improve. And that's like a weird sort of space that I'm in where I'm like, how's that, how has that change led to that? I don't understand that, but it's been the, I've just came to this conclusion that being proactive just leads to good things for you. Mm-hmm. Like if you're proactive, so I think that that is like the same sort of thing, like in psychology where they're saying just manifest, like sit and just focus your attention and your time and your uh, energy on things that you want, you'll get them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, so, you'll get them. But definitely. you need to combine that with the work. <laughs> 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 that, that's, that's like a pure thing. I'm like, that's cool. Like, I, I like that, that there's parallels. There's that a these are things that. that, these are like, um, they called like, common like truisms. Or like truisms uh, that you're like, ah, I can see how that's led to like, a dumbed down version of what's happening here whereas yeah. this is a more spiritual way of doing it and actually like see that's what I like about or that's what kind of garners my interest in the, in the areas like I, I was saying you off mic before we started like the you know the what my understanding of like Wiccan and sort of that type of thing is like it's quite a natural quite a you know in, interacting with nature mm-hmm. you know your environment and all these types of things and like obviously you know we had the witch trials and the various things and like yep. I, I was saying to you it's it's the moment in all history where like any type of organised religion was at its most stupid for me because mm-hmm. I don't get where this and this this was people who were traditionally maybe helping the local village with remedies or yeah. you know painkillers or whatever it's just for their understanding of you know nature in terms of the ones that were legitimately doing it but then obviously the hysteria swept across and you know I think you said was it eighteen people were was, was it actually like burned at the stake or was it they were hanged, so burning at the stake was a UK thing. Right. They were hanged in the US. Okay. I think. And you were saying to me as well that in terms of Scotland, like, they were pretty... pretty we, were, we were awful. Aye. <laughs> I read about it in Salem. I went to the library in Salem and I was like, I'm going to learn something today. Uh, and then I looked at torture and it was just a huge section on what the Scottish did. So <laughs> what, what, what are we talking about here? Where are Scotland in terms Look, of? Look, we're like, talking like the mid 1600s, late 1600s, early 1700s. Salem's witch trials were like in 1692 for like, I don't know, around 18 months or something like that. Like it was not long, but mm-hmm. Scotland did it for like longer than anybody. Like we, okay. years before and years after, it was yeah. like 100 years of it or like, I, right. I don't want to say anything like 
of in course. case it's wrong, but no. it was a long time. Nobody's got to correct Nobody you. Nobody fact checks us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 yeah, anyway. <laughs> they tell me fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> they're telling a story here, but... So, so we, yeah, we years were, we're we barbarians, that were we in tribe, um, and um, we didn't even the clans or whatever at the time. to kill anybody. So Just an in, accusation? Yeah, in Salem, it was like, if you had a dream or whatever, that was grounds to arrest somebody and torture them and eventually get a confession. But we didn't need a confession, and we didn't need a dream. We just... And what were the types of things that we did? Um, so burned at the state and stuff like that? So yeah, well, fundamentally, eventually they were burned. Um, but you'd have... Um, what are the... A vice, like, on your mm-hmm. thumbs. Mm-hmm. But the worst one, or the, the one that they say that is the worst, is they would keep people awake for days. So Aye. they'd put them on a wobbly chair... And obviously, obviously there was other stuff, yeah, like, um, so they do tiny wee cuts all over their body and then rub it with lime. Oh my god. Like the stuff that goes in soap. Uh Um, Uh And obviously that would be terrible, but the the staying awake thing, I'm like, no wonder. Sleep deprivation, you know, after what? Couple of days, you'll say in. I mean, like, absolutely. Yeah. So people You're would, your mind. they would give in and be like, right, okay, fine, I'm a witch, and then yeah. get to the, them being killed, and they're like, no, I'm not. Uh, but there was one woman who I think so. There's I think there was like five stages of torture. Um, most people confess by like the third time they mm-hmm. had to go through it or the third stage. Yeah. But there was one woman who went through the whole thing like seven times and wow. just was like. Fuck all of you. You're going to kill me anyway, so I'm giving you nothing. She, just, she was mocking the guy, like, I'm like, what a fucking hero. Aye. Goals. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? It's like, if ever there was a, you know, a fable for, you know, the woman's a religion, and I suppose it's that, you know what I mean? Especially when, as you say, people just, like, chill out and interact with your environment, and you're a pure witch. You know mm. what I mean? Like, it's, it's this, as I say, it's the stupidest religion has ever been. And, like, I think it's quite weird that in terms of America, like... What religion was it? Well, Christians. The Christians were like Puritan. Pure aye. It was the Puritans. Well, in Salem anyway. I can only really talk mostly uh-huh. about Salem. But it was largely Christian sex and stuff like uh-huh. that. But, like, I think it's yeah, funny that you, in terms of Scottish history, you need to go to America to find out that we were, you know, the witch burner generals. And there's that also, also the comparison where you need to go to America to find out that like Scotsmen started the KKK and stuff like uh, that. And you're just kind of like, and the biggest oh, slave traders, you know, uh, the biggest, like, biggest slave, slave traders, traders in the world. world. Uh, like, kind of like, well, like the Livingstons, no, like, pure the, telephones, see every telephones, statue down like, institutional Square. racism. Uh, <laughs> see all the statues at George Square. That's us celebrating slave traders and. Uh, uh, yeah. fucking I didn't so know we've that. Got, we've got a lot to answer for. I think so. Absolutely. Uh, doesn't surprise me in the slightest. I mean, how how much your secondary or primary school education spoke about the British Empire. Mine's was literally fucking zero. Uh, yeah, the only thing that I heard about was the first and the second world war. So yeah. before that, sure. nothing. Gave because we were slaughtering the fucking planet and they don't want you to know about it. But mm. Anyway, so, um, after, like, what what are your experiences of podcasting? Do you enjoy doing it? Absolutely, yeah. I like sitting and listening to other people's stories. Like, I'm, I think I'm more of a listener than I am a... A talker, like I've got, I've got obviously I've got things to say today, but absolutely, you've got uh, fucking, it's been awesome. Like an so. hour of depressing stories about my life, like no, okay. <laughs> um, so I like hearing other people's stories because I think everybody needs to sit down and say their shit at least once, mm-hmm. and I think maybe for some people it might have been the first time they've said that shit. Yep. And if it's in, you know, there's no more spectacular fashion than with a couple of allocations, just having a cup of tea, and just putting it out there, and a bit, a th- like. 
I do enjoy it, but I mostly enjoy how much I might be helping people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every now and then we'll get a message. It's like, you know, thank you for doing that. Um, and yeah, that's why that's why I like it so much. I just hope that somebody like me hears us and stops being a skeptic for just an hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just an hour. Something that you said when I was on was that um, doesn't matter because obviously, like mine's was porn and sex addiction, but mm-hmm. it's the same shit. Yeah. So just like, yeah. this is the same. Like, no matter what your addiction is, if you're addicted to fucking anything, you're speaking to people that are addicted to like going to the gym and dieting and yeah. like harming themselves, like eating proper people that have had eating disorders that are mm-hmm. so still triggering the same brain chemistry, the same requirements, and I absolutely, it's it's so incredible that there's just so many people out there that doesn't matter what it is. Like, gambling whatever they're just escaping mm-hmm. and the longer that they escape the longer the damage mm-hmm. they're going to do themselves like, so i think that it's amazing that you're out there just specifically talking about people's recovery mm-hmm. i've got um, to say after having been on myself like and being quite in, in the similar situation that you were in the day where this was my first appearance as a guest this was mm-hmm. your first appearance as a guest on somebody else's podcast and you know so, uh, coincidentally there's been a lot of crossover in my experience as well which has been cool mm-hmm. but like uh, oh fuck i did it again so how do you stay well? Because <laughs> you just interrupted me. Immediately, So how, how do you, how do you like how do you personally keep yourself well? Because for me, I mean, I'm I'm recovered or rec- and been in recovery and active recovery for about four or five years. And the first while, maybe the first year or two, I had to just constantly distract myself because I was always just thinking about like what uh, just. Yeah, getting back into it almost, and I I did a lot of distracting. But as the years have went on, I've been able to sort of sit with myself in silence without even like thinking whatever I would be thinking. You know what I mean? But so, how do you stay well for yourself? I think uh, I think for me, I'm like define well because I've kind of just placed my addictions elsewhere like in shopping or porn like I'm not bad but mm-hmm. you still get the impulse to do something mm-hmm. yeah, so do you mean well like, like not yeah. drinking or do you mean keep I would yourself say sane like, what do you if mean? I was to go back to my definition earlier on it's like when when you start your brain starts to go maybe I'll get a problem here right. and then you, you that's when I would say that you okay. kind of kick something so everybody has, um, goes and does shopping I'd imagine that there's I mean other than People like myself, (laughs) everybody watches porn and it's a a compulsion, it's an impulse and people do it and they're they're scratching an itch and suppose that they're taking care of something. But like, I would say that for for somebody like yourself, well, I mean, how do you keep yourself off the drink? Because you've had a specific addiction or off drugs and no getting into that sort of destructive life again because i think that even like matt matt's been out and we've had a couple of pints and but i think it's when it sort of crosses a line and it starts to become detrimental to your life that's when the, you need to do something about it so mm-hmm. how do you keep yourself feeling like slipping down a, a slippery slope um for me being creative is a huge part of it so i, I saw this it's probably a meme but it spoke about how birds sing in the morning to let their friends know they're still alive. Right. But it sounds so nice to us all. And I sort of thought about how artists are creating shit and they're like, look at this, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. And mm-hmm. we're like, yep, that's great. But I think for me, all I'm really doing when I create work is like, I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. So I kind of related to that on like a spiritual fucking level. Because it's so dark in the world sometimes. But yeah. So I do my creative stuff, but I'm also... I've, my final conclusion with drinking um, 
drugs, I don't have much of an opinion. Um, but with drinking, for me to drink is to die. And I'm not ready to die. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Yeah. So when I'm ready to die, maybe I'll drink, but not today. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the only explanation I've got. Obviously, in a sort of um, logistical sense, uh, finding like-minded people, um, chatting to them. Uh, uh, we, you know, we always think about if I if I was to say it myself today, like Dude, you're never going to drink again, like ever. It seems really daunting, but it's only for this minute or for this hour yeah and um, mm-hmm. sometimes i just have to fucking eat cake you know <laughs> mm-hmm. sometimes i just have to do something and i'm a big shopper like if i'm sad i go shopping but i justify it because i'm a fashion stylist and technically it's an investment yeah mm-hmm. you can I'm, i can't just buy myself something yeah all sorts mm-hmm. being a workaholic isn't get the vat back on all that stuff as well mm-hmm. yeah you know I mean? like, just uh i have to create and I think I'm that's a pretty common thing amongst a lot of our guests that we've had on and we've talked about these issues of you know, mental health and addiction and various other bits and bobs associated with that. A creative outlet is something that is like, even at a basic, you know, I started a blog or, mm. you know, whatever. There's any number of things that just allow you to like either verbalise or just kind of like put your experience out there in some sense or ex- just express yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean, as you were doing and maybe more a creative industry such as you're in, like... I think it's, I like things like community that you get through your groups yeah. and the people that have reached out to you, like some sort of creativeness in your life is like... I think that's what a lot of people aye, just miss when people, I mean, I was always, and I'm sure that you'll, you'll be the, the, well, I know through the conversation you're the exact same, I was always quite a naturally creative person, like mm-hmm. I loved art at school and I always like, for some reason just was attracted to guitars, just yeah. any time there's a guitar I would want to touch it and... So I was always quite a naturally creative person. I think what happens to the vast majority of people because they don't have that creativity or maybe it gets stifled. Maybe that's, I, I don't know, but there's a lot of people mm. that you meet and you talk to. And the real world has a massive impact on absolutely. everyday creativity. Absolutely, you know I mean? yeah. And they get into the job and then it's the house and it's the car and it's like, you should be happy. This is happiness. Like you get the, You've got everything that the world's telling you that you want, but then... You don't have any expression of who you are, and you kind of lose the person that you know. You lose that sort of like. And you become defined by the house that there's uh-huh. everybody else in the streets go. Uh-huh. And you, there's nothing really. There's no way for you to really express yourself in any way, and you just feel like a bit of a drone. I don't know. I've I've always felt a wee bit when I was living that type of life. I was always felt like a wee bit of an imposter. I felt like I don't really like this. I don't. Really I can relate that. Like and you know. The ten years between leaving uni and starting the podcast, or maybe even more than that, you know, I had no real meaningful creative outlet. You know what I mean? Like, and I think being in the position we're now, having the podcast, talking to creative people about their processes, about their work and stuff like that, is like, I it's night and day. I would never go back now. I think now that I've had that creative outlet, even if this down the line stops or whatever, you know, life changes or throws us curveballs or whatever. I'd probably still at the other end of it, but like, you know what, I now need to find something else to actually engage with, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, like, because it has been so vital to, particularly in the last year, my alcohol recovery, you know what I mean, like, so I definitely like back up what you're saying there in that respect. Have you ever had periods in your life where you've lost your creativity, or has it always been something that's just sort of ticked over for you? I had it from such a young age, and then it only kind of disappeared when I when I went to London, um, and I think it was maybe in some ways my kind of, my kind of downfall, like I was very... Um, expressive with how I looked um, and I was I was in a 
a particular job at one point where I had to be blonde. Okay. Had to not have tattoos, no piercings, had to look very pretty. And I just died inside. Right. Like, I know I'm blonde right now, um, but that was like it wasn't a choice for me. Mm-hmm. I was being told to look that way. And I was always very expressive how it like that was you know, I was like a walking photo shoot. Yeah. You know, like I was cool and happy with that. But when when I was in London I had sort of periods of you know, not thinking I was a photographer because I'd met real photographers. Mm-hmm. I, I can't do what they do. Right. Um, it's only like in the last year or two I've even admitted that I'm a photographer despite the fact that I've been doing it for 10 years. Like, yeah. um, So I've, I've had periods without it uh, and those periods of time just fucking horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it'd be quite easy to go to a place like London as a 17-year-old and be intimidated by other people who have maybe been in the game a bit longer and, you know, had more time to develop their own identity yeah. and style and all these things. But London's again, like a scene. it's probably a pretty unfair comparison in the long term, you London's know, I mean? like especially the quality of your work now, you know and what I mean? There's loads of people that I've met over the years being involved in creative industries and bands and stuff where they're just so full of shit. But I used to idolise these people. I used uh-huh. to be like, they're doing so oh, wow, I wish I could be like that. Mm-hmm. And then you meet them, maybe later on, or you meet somebody that, that knew them and you talk to them and they're like... No, yeah. they were the same as you, man, and you're like, fuck, like, I, I used to <laughs> think that I was so pathetic, do you know what I mean, because I, I couldn't be like this person or that person, and the worst point in my life, like, my rock bottom was when I lost my creative outlets, because I, I gave them up in the pursuit of a salary, and the pursuit of yeah. buying cars and buying houses and trying to sort of have the facade, and it's the worst period in my life, I don't think I could ever go back to it. Um, Once can, you've had a period of time you know, without it, you're like, oh, it's like not eating for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess it feels good to be doing something else other than eating, but I'm fucking starving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you feel it. You feel it in your soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a lot of what a lot of people feel, and I don't know if quite they figure it out like, for themselves. Do you know what I mean? I think they just end up getting another job and getting another house and getting another car and you just want to shake some people sometimes and go stop buying shit like yeah. stop it like you've got this and you've got I've got a mate particularly that bought a house two years ago and then since he's bought that house he's had three cars and now he's just got a dog and I just want to fucking shake him and go stop fucking trying to patch your life up with bullshit dude like <laughs> please just gonna take a wee minute to just let shit settle down last time I spoke to you you're talking about how you had no money and yeah. you just went and got another car and bought a dog for fuck's sake like. it's, it's wild like when you uh, pursue um, like a, a job and a lifestyle that's sold to you I want to be like choose life but you know like when I had that catastrophic breakdown the only good thing was that my boss was like he, hadn't, he didn't fire me the guy was nice enough not to fire me but we both knew that I could not, I was not, like, you know. Yeah. Um, but the only good thing that came from that was that it finally pushed me into just being what I wanted to be all along. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, full of ego. Like, if I couldn't be the next Alexander McQueen, why would I even learn to sew? Yeah. Like, I wanted, I needed to be the best at something. Defeating yourself so before you even come start. At, yeah, coming to terms with the fact that I'm not the best person in the world. Oh, so difficult. But it pushed me into being creative unapologetically. Uh, which I think kind of really gave me the opportunity to think for myself. Mm-hmm. I was no longer mm-hmm. creating somebody else's. Yeah. And I'm too abrasive um, for the industry sometimes because there's that sort of like you have to network and mm. 
my way of networking was getting shit faced and hoping that I was funny at some point or doing drugs. Like uh, I don't like networking. I don't want to pretend that I like you just so you'll give me money. Yeah. Like I'm not fucking into that. Give me money. Still not. I think that the internet has enabled somewhat and will continue to enable creative types not to be bourgeois and they don't need to be champagne and oh darling and like oh you need it's, it's this guy you need to know that guy and that guy I think that especially for like people like yourself and when I look at stuff and the work speaks for itself a lot of the times yeah. and you can get away with like networking online which isn't the same as being in a room with like 40 people and having yeah. to go up and fucking kiss arse which is basically what you need to do but yeah. that's what networking is is I kissing fucking, somebody's fucking arse that's got something you need. To. I was like I'm not fucking doing this like mm. I'm I'm just, uh, I'm so annoying. But, you know, when I worked with Sony and Red Bull and all that, like, they pursued me. Mm-hmm. So I was obviously doing something, right? Yeah. Like, I'm a fucking weirdo, but when people want a slice of weird, like, they know where to go. <laughs> you know, and people don't have the balls to, like, be a fucking freak show. But I've made it my full-time job, and, right. you know, it's not doing, not doing bad. Absolutely. I need to get back in at my shit. Let's go full circle with the Alexander McQueen thing. If you want to become Alexander McQueen... Do it all the time then. Just put the fucking work in. If you don't fucking sit and sew all day until you're like masterful with a fucking sewing machine, if that's what you want to do. Well, I'm at that point. Prove me right because I believe, I genuinely believe in that. Look, you name your first collection after him. I see where he was, you know. The Shieldsy range. The pressure he was under and everybody in the fashion industry is always like, you know, when McQueen gets mentioned because he he started out at 16, did all that shit Mm -hmm. and then killed himself. Because he was doing fourteen collections a year, like it's the same cycle. With anybody that's got yeah. talent or on them out, man. Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, the list just goes on and on and on. So in the, the end, it's good that I didn't end up driving them. Tailor destruction only makes their product more valuable, which is the sad thing for me. You know what I mean? Like mm. that these people are driven beyond what they're capable of handling. But instead of everybody at the end, it taking a moment and being like pure. We do that, you know what I mean? Everybody's like pure no, let's add another ten or own whatever that already cost, you know what I mean? Like or a thousand or whatever it is, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's like a limited amount of Alexander McQueen stuff you can buy now and it's True. the original stuff because I refuse to buy anything that women uh, designed because I think it's blasphemy. Like the brand should have died with him, I think. But that's that's other stuff. That's another podcast. It's like, so sad, you know, when they kill the the artists die and then it's just it's like in the Joker film, he's like, Two pack holograms. My, yeah, I hope my death makes more sense than my life. Mm-hmm. It's like we're all having to wait until we die for our work to be valuable. And I had that kind of, I have to suffer or I'm not making art. Yeah. Like, the there's a whole lot of conditioning involved. Aye. And I think that's the, that's the end goal. But fuck that, I'm not being miserable to create mm-hmm. anymore. I'm not doing it. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's like a really good point to end on because I was just say the exact same thing it's like. a poignant point that you don't need to suffer for your art to be valid like a lot of people they believe that I believed that when I was in making yeah. music that I need to be the disgraceful rock star like mm-hmm. that's why and so many people so many people have followed suit and ended up fucking dead I mean like Pete Doherty's one Amy Winehouse is another in modern times yeah. where they have absolutely destroyed themselves in pursuit of some kind of like holy grail for artists mm. that doesn't exist for me like the best art is the stuff that's full of joy right. and no make peace with yourself and then go and express it 
You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's weird, like, drinking more never made me any more respected. Mm-hmm. And my work got better when I stopped drinking. Absolutely. But I st- I've still got that darkness. Like, I, my darkness is my main selling point, like, as an artist. So mm-hmm. I thought that if I stopped drinking, I wouldn't be dark anymore. And heaven forbid, I'm not a big goth anymore, you know? But yeah. I'm, like, even darker. It's, just, it's weird what you think's going to happen is not what happens, and you only know if you do it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just like, fuck you all. Like, mm-hmm. fuck every single one Manifest of you. Manifest that shit. Yeah, like, if you want to be dark... Mind my business, be nice to people, do my thing. If you get anything that you want to shout out before we wrap up, other than it, because we've spoke, we've said, we've mentioned that a few times, but you're <laughs> We'll put we'll put the, the link in when we're uh, sharing the episode. But anything else that you want to hemp or hoor out or whatever? Um. I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. I. I don't think so. I was gonna say that Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> we could dare fucking. Well, uh, Epstein did not Epstein, kill himself. Epstein's broken neck. Uh, yeah. Prince Andrew's gonna be on um, the BBC. BBC two tomorrow. Like no, the rapes wings. Near uh, pre-approved questions. Apparently, we'll see how that one goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like BBC's been recruited to as like a fucking PR company for the Royals. Get Andrew on and get him to be the the. Upstanding, well-spoken yeah. royal. Fuck him. That, yes. Like that. Fuck this. That's like, the last one that you should be putting, like, in the public eye. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I agree. But we can maybe do Coming a Jeffrey Epstein episode, <laughs> my conspiracy theory podcast. I fucking constantly try to float. But anyway, I've got one of those kind of names that's like I'll say it, but you won't spell it right or find me on the internet. Well, we'll you can call me Diana Rotten, like, because yeah. I've just changed my Twitter. Because I'm like, nobody fucking gets my name right. I'm gonna do like, you know, when it's like bone out the teeth, like you just pick words that are vaguely similar. To yeah. Mm-hmm. So Diana Rotten on Twitter, I guess you'll find my Everything nonsense there. on that. This has been honestly been a, a great episode. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like especially just the story, your addiction, but then the education around what is a witch. Well, yeah, actually a witch and us another episode in itself. So well. where we start reading up on witches now, somewhere. But thanks very much for coming on. It's been highly enjoyable. Yep. Well, honoured to be here. Thank you for your time. Cheers. Just for
fire We'll make the party I see right through it The great deserve to fade You call the party Forceful time.